and welcome to episode three of Middle Age Geeks, the podcast where we discuss movies, video games, comic books, TV, tech, and anything in between. My name is Phil, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Daz. Daz, how are you? I'm very good, man. Um, it's been a good week. Uh, we've got loads of really get, great feedback, and just thanks for everyone for listening. Yeah, it's been really good. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. It's been quite a quite quite a chill week. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to to this week's episode. For those at home listening, we're we're gonna have a conversation around um VR, virtual reality. Um, it's past, it's present, and maybe what's in store in the future. Daz is gonna give us a good intro about that. And then for our retro corner, we thought because it's all about virtual reality, it might be interesting to revisit an old classic. So we're gonna have a look at the uh, 1982 movie Tron, which was. 1982. It's good year. It's the year I was born. So we're going to uh, we're going to we're going to revisit that. Not a review, just a revisit, and just maybe have a look at you know its impact and stuff. But before we get into that, uh, I'd be interested to know what you've been watching, playing, and stuff this week, Dad. Uh, yeah, well, this week, kind of carrying on from a racing themed episode of last week, I've been playing Forza Motorsport Eight, which came out this week, last week. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's more of the same. There's not really much to go into. It's uh, after actually playing Burnout for the Retro Corner last week. Sim racing games seem a little labored and not quite boring, but just a, a tad bit. You know, this is good, but it's kind of missing something. And Forza is that. You know, it's great controls, great tracks, great graphics, but it's kind of just more about more more of the same and i think like uh i always found it interesting with uh motorsport game or with forza games generally when they'd be released i'd intend to play them for you know an hour and end up playing them until the wee hours of the morning and just get really got caught up in it and i'm not much of a car guy but this time was after about two hours i think it was you know you get that feeling where ah, i think i'm done now i might dip in every now and then but um especially after playing gran turismo in vr this year which we'll kind of go into later on playing sim games uh in non-vr is just it's just missing that intense uh balls to the wall kind of aspect so uh yeah i've been playing that i also played a game called from space which is a top-down twin stick shooter jenny picked it up because i saw it, it was co-op and i was thinking maybe it's something that we could do down the line with her if we're planning like a co-op episode or something like that and it's an alien invasion kind of cartoon graphics good controls you're a guy that's just going around just killing kind of purple aliens and it outlasts its welcome it's it outlasts its welcome pretty quickly pretty serviceable you know but yeah after an hour i was like okay next yeah but that got me thinking something you said before that like while i was playing starfield um for like four weeks i missed that whole being able to dip into games which is one of my favorite pastimes you know with game pass just see a game check a review and it gets if it gets seven or eight out of ten you go okay let's let's have a look at this and play it for an hour and just go right next so yeah uh from space is not a game that deserves more than one hour so that's what i've been up to um what have you been up to yourself um, I, I'd love to say, like yourself, I was talking into new games, but in honor, or sorry, in advance of uh, Spider-Man 2 coming out, I decided to get through a playthrough of the first one. Um, so oh, wow. this is Insomniac's uh, Spider-Man for the PlayStation. So obviously I didn't play through the whole thing because it's, you know, it is a decent sized game. But yeah, just to get back into just having to go with that, refresh myself with the story and stuff. And like, even though I think... Miles Morales probably has the better powers because they had to, you know, they give him cooler powers and stuff. There's just something so awesome about being Peter Parker and building around the city. I, I, to be honest, I think I kind of prefer Miles Morales as a character read the re, in the recent iterations. Anyway, uh, I think he's great. But uh, 
there is something cool about being old school Spider-Man swinging around the city because when that game came out and what was it 2018 I think was it that came out yeah the, the, the you could literally spend hours just swinging around the city you know and you're popping by and all of a sudden the your radio has gone off telling you there's a crime being committed like I don't really care I'm just gonna keep on swinging around this is fucking glass <laughs> yeah, you know? I'm just gonna swing it's, this it's way just, it's so you know it's so easy you know it's literally just most of the time it's just the orbit and it's just how long do you hold it release it do you use it quickly do you use it not doing some tricks in the air but most part it's just guiding around you know the city is gorgeous and the, the, the way the day changes you know if you're doing it like it you know whether it's at night time or, or during the day just when the you know, sun set you know it was gorgeous in the city and when the when they did the upgraded version with ray tracing it's just it's beautiful and so it's great to kind of play that because this weekend this episode comes out on the day that spider-man 2 comes out the playstation so i will not be in, interacting with other human beings for most of the weekend i would think but um <laughs> yeah i'm yeah i'm dying to get into that so the second game so um, with regards to what I'm watching, I've been, um, I was watching The Fall of the House of Usher, which is the latest, uh, the latest series by Mike Flanagan. I just like his stuff. I think his stuff is really, you know, even when it's not great, it's still solid. You know, I, I, I really, I liked the book, um, Dr. Sleep, the follow-up to The Shining. I thought he did a really good version of that. And then his, you know, his series that he's done. Haunting Hill House, Haunting of Blythe Manor, Midnight Mass, Midnight Club. I've all been good. Okay, Midnight Club wasn't incredible, but it was still a good, some good performances from a young cast. But I really enjoyed this. If you don't know, it's kind of, it's it, it's there's a, there's, it's based on not just Edgar Allan Poe's um, The Fall of House of Usher, but also there's a lot of his other stuff and all short stories and novels are kind of worked into it as well, different themes from there. It's just, I love the performances in it. Bruce Greenwood is fucking amazing in it. Who apparently was actually not even going to star in it. Like he was, he's kind of the main role in it. Oh, really? And yeah, I think Frank Langella had the part, but then he, there was some sort of like accusations of harassment or something on set and he got the boot. Oh, wow. Right? Which I didn't know at all. I was going to have to look into that story. But yeah, he got the boot and Bruce Greenwood's amazing. Carla Gugino, Gugino, Gugino? Gugino, yeah. Gugino. She's fucking excellent. And she's she's in all, it seems to be in loads of Mike Flanagan stuff now. She's great in it. His wife is brilliant in it. Katie Siegel, Seigel, whatever her name is, is really, really good. Um, just good performances. Uh, Mary McDonald. I watch Mary McDonald and fucking anything. I think she's amazing. She's yeah. the, uh, she's fantastic. Yeah, she's a president from Battlestar Galactica for anybody who's, who doesn't know. Um, and she's just so watchable. She's fucking brilliant. And just she's a cold bitch in this, and she's excellent, you know. But yeah, so that that's kind of what I've been watching. I milled through it. Uh, Mark Hamill's in it. He's brilliant. The death scenes are really great. Um, it's just a really enjoyable. It's it's I think it was only like eight episodes, and you know, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's a good watch. Uh, I think yeah, I think most of my planning and stuff, even if it doesn't completely hit home, it's generally he's a good handle on on horror you know he doesn't push it fucking terribly you know to just the point of jeez this is fucking terrifying it's, it's kind of i think it's very accessible to people who are into horror or people who just wouldn't be fully into it you know it just and he kind of walks that line quite well for me and so yeah i enjoyed that um so that that's kind of yeah apart from apart from the the revisit of what we watched this week um for our retro corner that's kind of it so I guess with that, with all that said, maybe what we'll do is we'll just jump into our main section about VR. So I don't know anybody who's better to speak on this subject than yourself, Daz. So away you go. 
Thank you very much. So yeah, uh, this section kind of came about because we had a lovely piece of feedback actually from uh, Martin O'Sullivan, a friend of the show and uh, actually a wonderful actor I've worked with in the past. And he mentioned that he was hoping to pick up a Quest 3 that is releasing this week. Um, and I had the, the pleasure of playing this week, which is fantastic. I'll get into that. But he asked, um, were we into VR at all? Because he just mentioned that he was playing a game, Population 1, which is a first-person shooter in VR, um, and absolutely loving it. But he especially mentioned that it's a game that he wouldn't generally like at all, but loves in VR. And that come, kind of got me into thinking about um, VR and its place in gaming today, you know, its history and, you know, I guess, potential future. And for me, it was... Uh, I think we were talking about this before, like the first thought of VR is the Virtua Boy. It just has to be. It's like, a, but research into VR apparently goes back to the late 60s. It must be quite a trippy time for a lot of people. Um, but I think the interest grew in the 90s, especially when uh, like god-awful movie Abomination Lawnmower Man came out. Oh, God. And which, which <laughs> Jesus Christ, we were actually thinking about doing that to tie into the VR uh, theme as our retro game but nobody should have to sit through that um once let alone twice shocking movie but that movie kind of popularized the idea of vr with the general public and i remember the the commercials for the virtual boy don't think it even came out in europe but that was in 1995 um and it was a colossal failure like absolutely <laughs> shat the bed i think it was discontinued after about six months the TV commercials made it look super cool. And I actually didn't know this until I just looked into it, that it wasn't actually a headset at all. It was it was the goggles on a stand Yeah, that you had to sit and put the stand in front of you and just place your head it, there. It was like going to the optician. Like then when you start, they put it, they put you in that. You've never been measured for glasses, but they stick your chin in a, in a little yoke and then they put these things on your eyes to go, you know, is it clearer now? Is it clearer now? Is it clear? Can you read? Can you read this shit across the wall, like across there? Oh, that's um, and that—that's what it reminds me of. Yeah. Oh, it's pretty shocking. And there was uh, one notable fact that uh, Nintendo, to keep the the cost down, I think it was like uh, under two hundred dollars. I don't know what that was, at the, like in terms of uh, inflation and stuff. But it was pretty pricey. But um, instead of going for color LEDs, they just went for red LEDs inside. And as a, a filmmaker myself, I know that when you have dark spaces and bright red lights is just not a good look the color just bleeds the red bleeds all over the place and so the eye strain was apparently torturous for anyone who got a chance to use it after playing anything more than fucking 10 minutes or something but yeah like consumer vr i guess i, I remember the, the oculus rift when the kind of the dev kit came out in 2012 and it was the first time you actually saw like it, you couldn't play it or anything but like You'd see it online or people were testing, you know, oh, somebody's testing something in VR and you got the sense it's, you know, it's coming. It's it's around the corner and it wasn't until 2016 then when the Rift, Oculus Rift came out. Um, and I'm not a PC gamer, so um, I didn't get a chance to go anywhere near that and it was quite pricey. But for me, my first, and actually the the there was the Google Cardboard things. Do you remember them? I think they were out before. No. Uh, Oculus Rift or, or the Samsung Gear, the Gear VR. Uh, yeah, you put I, your phone in the you, headset you, thing. You you gifted me a Gear VR. Oh yeah, actually, yeah, and and um, but like that, like the I put the phone in and like the phone just kept overheating. So I only play it for a couple of minutes at a time, you know. And obviously, it's nothing compared to what 
you know, will be where we're going to get into speaking about now. But I do remember those. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But when the uh, when the Rift came out and the PSVR later in 2016, like especially the Oculus Rift kind of set the threshold for what VR would become. It's like this is the standard of graphics and this is this is what we'll hopefully be getting. So I got my PSVR on launch day, October 13th, I think 2016. And I remember going to the store and queuing up as a 37 year old man. The front of the queue at like eight forty-five. <laughs> the saddest thing in life. But yeah, I remember getting it and going home and just the giddiness. It was it was akin to like a new console, like you know, getting the when the SNES was released or something like that. This monumental jump in tech. And I remember setting it up and when the uh, when it first comes on, you're put into kind of a white kind of dome and there's a there's a floating menu and the floating menu is just your system setups, you know, change your tech size and stuff like that. But I was looking at a dead center and then I just moved my head and realized that white dome I was in was a 3D environment and the menu was floating. And I spent about five minutes in that fucking <laughs> menu section just looking around going, fuck me. The game hadn't even started yet, you know. So that was, uh, yeah, I spent a good 12 hours playing that that day. But the first game, and I think you've played this one, the uh, Batman VR, which is kind of like a six-hour tech demo. Yeah. But you become Batman, you're in the Batcave, and you're looking down at your belt and taking up tools and batarangs and stuff like that. And it just, it's what you would, like anyone who came to the house, just go, have you got fucking 10 minutes? And you say, I mean, I'd, like, I'd just like to show you something. And even if they said, I'm not really into games, after 10 minutes, they're like, holy fuck, I'm Batman. <laughs> it was quite spectacular. But um, yeah, I just loved that level of immersion that just like took people that I knew were not into games and just turned them into gamers for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Like I remember having a birthday party and everyone was over. And of course, you know, the uh, VR was always, I was always chatting about it. And it was late in the evening and I was chatting to one of my friends and he's not a gamer and talking about, um, did you ever play Thumper? Yeah, it's remember the, 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 the musical the Beatle, game, Beatle on the yeah, this kind musical, of Beatle yeah. on a track, and it's trippy, dark, twisted, uh, kind of rhythm game. And I told him about it, and he was like, "Oh, yeah, give me a go with that. I'll, I'll have a look." And he was playing it for about four hours. Just sat there, <laughs> just this is fucking amazing. How much is this thing? And so it's four hundred euros, and that was the end of the conversation. Yeah, right? Okay, I'm not getting that. But um, yeah, do you have any fond memories of your first times? Yeah, I think for my first time playing it. I think it was, um, I think it was uh, uh, Battlefront, Star Wars. Um, mm. Is it Battlefront or Battleground? Battlefront is Battlefront, right? And it came yeah. with a VR, uh, it came with a VR mission. Do you remember a short mission? Oh, yeah, so, yeah. And for me, now we'll get, we'll get into why I don't play much VR games in a while. But for me, being in there, that was the biggest being a kid moment. Because I'm sitting there in an X-Wing. I'm actually in, I look down, I can see the controls. I look and turn my head around me. I can see my little droid behind me. I've got my other buddies on my fucking wings. So, and then you press a button to open the fucking wings, open the X wings and attack position. And the other fuckers are doing it as well. And then, you know, it's, it's, it was just, oh my God, this is fucking, inc- I'm actually flying a ship. You know, like this is, yeah, you know, yeah. as a kid who's grown up in the eighties playing with star Wars figures to be in the actual ship, you know, and it's, and okay. Even since then, you know, because that was 2016, 2017, whatever it was, the the jump, you know, obviously is massive now. But even being in there, that that's real enough. And that's the amazing thing about VR is that it can be incredibly basic, but still have that physical reaction on, you know, some of the little games that you can play on, on VR, these really simple ones about walking the plank or, or, you know, jumping out a window. It's so simplistic, the animation, but your your brain and your body make it real, you know, and that was the thing. 
Um, that was my first thing. I, I do remember playing around that time as well, Resident Evil 7, having to go over the Euros, Resident oh, yeah. Evil 7 in VR. Now I only played like maybe 10, 15 minutes into it, but fair play to the people who play that the whole way through in VR. Because like, I played the game the whole way through and like I enjoyed it, but nothing to do with fucking creepy, man. Hillbillies just freaks me out. Like, so in that creepy old house going around, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. Yeah, because I watched you playing that um i think you're, you're being generous i think you did about 20 minutes 25 minutes and you got to some seriously fucking scary stuff but the start of it you're walking through the woods and there's a bit where there's just an audible kind of uh sound to shock you and it's you know a bunch of crows flying by and it's like oh you know and i knew that was coming and i'd seen videos and i know what's coming and when i saw you getting through it because i didn't get through the title sequence like 30 <laughs> seconds like, fuck this so, so, so i said I'll give it a I'll give it another go because you know you know whatever film it's doing it's it'll be cool and I got to that bit where the crows like this they fly in front of your field of view and I ripped the headset off as quick as you fucking can <laughs> just fuck that um yeah I'll stick to uh yeah Star Wars or just uh, playing shooty games or, you know that was just absolutely terrifying but as you as you're saying there like the joy it can bring to you and uh, kind of changes games like what Martin was saying about um. A certain game that you may not think you'd like, like one of the launch games, I think was this back in 2016 was Battle Battle Zone or something like that, and it's kind of a, a VR update of a, a like late 90s kind of game. It's like a pixelated um, like kind of tank combat game, and like I don't like tank tank combat games, no interest in them whatsoever. But it was like you know I was trying to tickle the vr itch so just buying everything i could on the store but when when you go into it and, and you launch the game and the first thing you're in a cockpit and the shield or the windows are down and you're just like looking around at the, at the controls i was like this is quite cool but then the you, the kind of windows of it open you realize you're in a big shipping yard and when you're choosing your weapons they're coming down you can see them being attached to the tank and it's like all right this is fucking cool and then they pulsate kind of 80s synth music and before you know it like you're five hours deep into this game going this is the best game i've ever fucking played <laughs> um but you know but explain to somebody it's like oh it's a tank combat yeah just it's um it's yeah it's a beautiful thing and what i was speaking about earlier on with gran turismo like racing games in vr just take on a new world completely like after like i think um dirt rally vr came out like 2017 and I remember reading online that someone said like, yeah, if you get this, it's it's fantastic, blah, blah, blah. But you have to, like, you should get a wheel. And again, steering wheel and racing game, not really that into racing games, not really into cars, but I said, right, I'll go for it. I'll get a full immersion, get the wheel. And there's something about sitting in the car and with your hands on the wheel in VR and you can you can see your hands moving as you turn. You can look out the window. You, you know, this kind of shit is just mind-blowing. And yeah, my wife had a go on that and was racing on the side of a cliff in a course in South Africa or something. And she veered off the cliff and she just reefed the fucking uh, <laughs> steering wheel off the table. She's like, well, she's just like, right, well, you're never driving that again. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's it pretty fucking fantastic. But um, yeah, and I think games like games, like everyone knows Beat Saber, where you, you know, it's a musical um, rhythm game, but you've got lightsabers and you're just hitting blocks and it's just ridiculous amounts of fun like ridiculous amounts of fun and another one of my favorites pistol whip which is kind of an on-rail shooter where you have double pistols and you're just basically shooting people and dodging bullets and 
like I've had moments where I felt like I was the coolest motherfucker on the planet, twin pistols in hand, you know, dodging incoming bullets, almost in slow man, slow motion and like laying waste to everyone around me. And it's a level of ecstasy, like on par with the birth of my daughter. You know what I mean? It's this <laughs> kind of shit where you're like, holy fuck, this is amazing. And then your wife records you while you're playing um, and shows it back to you. And I know I was having lots of fun, but you just look like an absolute buffoon, <laughs> but one who was having lots and lots of fun. Yeah, that video is somewhere. But yeah, in terms of VR gaming, you, you've had a couple of stumbling blocks in terms of motion sickness and stuff like that. Do you yeah, want to touch on that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, the you know, as Daz has touched on, a lot of the, the VR stuff from up around that time was mostly, um, it's all been wired and needed to be connected to your PC, connected to your PlayStation. But, you know, when I kind of got into it properly, it was with the, the Quest 2, which was, you know, you don't, you don't need to be connected to anything. You know, now obviously you pay for that with maybe reduced fidelity and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's still incredibly immersive. But I have, I've always had ridiculous problems with motion sickness and they carry over into VR. My, I was actually myself, my sister were talking about it the other day. I was remembering a story from when I was younger because I carry my motion sickness like right up into my teens. And I remember going away on like a family holiday and we traveled, going to the States and it was a long fucking trip. Tempers are flared. It's a long trip, like especially back in the nineties, going from Dublin all the way to Orlando, we were going to, you know, and we'd gotten through everything. We had to go through the rigmarole of getting a rent a car. It was a long, long L day and people were cranky. We got into the car. I remember myself and my sister got in and my dad just literally just reversed the car with the car park seat and straight away me and my sister almost in unison were both sick. It's like, we just get in. And just see, he <laughs> fucking flipped. I remember, I've never seen it, like the, the rage in a man's eyes like my dad ready to kill his two fucking kids. Like, just, just we literally got fucking two feet out of the car park in space. Like, we're going to get sick. We're going to get sick. Uh, it was just, and, a car, and then one day in like my teens, it just disappeared, you know, and I'm grand now and then obviously, um, God, it'd be horrible if I was still in my 40s, not able to go anywhere. But yeah, it was horrific. But I find when I play VR, I get it straight away. So that Batman thing you talked about, there's a part where you use the um, bat grapple gum and everything he has to shoot up to a ledge. And so just that skip, because obviously you, can't, you don't move anywhere. It's using the grapple gun and stuff and point and click is where you go there. So where the disconnect and where you feel sick is that on screen, you're moving. You move the control stick to move and you expect to move. The problem is your physical body doesn't move and that disconnect is where the sickness comes from and so batman going pressing forward and he's zipping up yes the screen goes forward being in vr makes my brain think i'm actually there but i'm not and because my body's not that disconnect is where i get sick so my experience of vr is quite different um i can't play a lot of games like pistol whip you're basically going along on a track you're you're ducking you're dodging you're shooting guys but that moving on a track but me not moving just straight away stomach gone but what's great is that there's there's so many VR games out there for people like myself who have that issue. And I know people say you get your VR legs, you know, in inverted commas, um, if you play enough. That just hasn't, I just haven't got it. Maybe some people just don't. I've played loads and it hasn't come for me. I still feel unwell if I have any sort of extended session. Um, like that first time playing the X-Wing, that was amazing. But the minute the leader in front of me goes, right, follow me, we're going down. And I press down for my X-Wing to dive down. The minute that fucking nose, that thing turned down. Straight away, my fucking lunch was up in my throat. Well, I can play beat, beat Saber, like you mentioned. I'm playing fucking crazy golf, you know, and all these different things. That <laughs> There's loads of games like that. And what's great is that they're all wonderful for people as well who are, who have individual needs, people who 
can't get up and, and move around and jump around and stuff there's still loads of games they can play just from sitting down and that's what i think is so wonderful about vr it makes it accessible to loads of different people and you know it's not maybe just the games it's the you can go and sit down in a movie theater from home you can be sitting at home yeah. you put this thing on and sit there and other users that are using the same app as you can be in there playing if you even know people you can arrange to go there and you have a yap while watching the movie on the big screen and it's like you're in the cinema you can sit there see the cinema seats around you it looks like you're sitting in a cinema you know and you can watch whatever you can join random ones and watch watch them with strangers or whatever you want to do you can go enjoy and play bowling with mates you know and, and that's what people do people who have these headsets will go and meet to play star trek you know you're all on the fucking bridge of the enterprise and you're one person's doing the phasers and you're shouting at each other and you can see each other's yeah, yeah, arms yeah. moving because of the controllers and that's where i think the i love the, the move on from the wired the wired console onto this individual thing because it made it again accessible to people who maybe didn't have like I don't, some people don't have a pc you're going, well i can't play this or i don't have a playstation why would i get a playstation vr quest is a self-contained quest 2 was a self-contained piece of machinery as I mean, you're going to go in and speak maybe a bit more about the quest 3 but i think that's where the quest 2 was such a jump up and so yeah like i, I love i think there's there's something for everybody in vr there's actually i i was playing uh, i had the, the bbc player you know because on it watching fa cup football and i was sitting in a boat on a river fishing and so I'm just sitting there about the hands out and I'm reeling in fish. I'm casting out and stuff like that while watching the match and <laughs> screen, you know, picture in picture. It's like, this is fucking amazing. You can have it, have it raining. You can have it sunny. You can change what fish you're after and stuff and just sit out there reeling in fucking whatever trout just while watching the match. It's like, I'm just sitting on the couch. It's like, this is the business. Yeah, that's what they say, actually, that uh, especially with the, the Apple Vision Pro where it's not virtual reality, virtual reality or augmented reality. That's kind of the future. It's mixed reality. It's taking your surroundings with a clear enough camera. And the MetaQuest 3 kind of taps into that a little bit, but the Apple, the, the Vision Pro is supposed to, like it's 4K, it's perfectly replicating your surroundings and then putting your computer and all this kind of stuff in it so you're not looking at your phone as much and all this stuff. But I still think even with the, like the PSVR was probably the lightest one. Um, I've used PSVR 2 is, is good as well, where the the tech is, and like PSVR, PCVR, where the tech is in in the console or the or the machine, where they they are a little bit lighter, rather than the the Quest uh, one, two, and three, where the you know the computer is in the eyepiece, the, the processor, so it's going to be a bit, little bit heavy. But even the lightest VR, it's still after two or three hours, you're still aware that you're wearing this fucking thing on your head, and it just starts to kind of irritate you a little bit. It's not heavy and it's not painful, but it just you know no matter how light something is, eventually it's going to feel heavy. So um. Yeah, I don't know how they're going to tackle that with the Apple Vision Pro going going forward where they say it's going to, you know, you can use it um, as part of your work. You know, you don't need your laptop anymore. And just like, you're going to wear this fucking thing for eight hours a day? You know, even though it recreates, you know, I've seen the videos where it recreates your face and showcases it on the outer screen of it, which just looks fucking creepy. Yeah, it does. But um, it just looks, yeah, really creepy. But they said that like, there's one guy I was reading about, Professor uh, David Reed, who's a VR expert. And I don't really know that, what that means, but he's some kind of professor. And he mentioned that the metaverse's ultimate aim is not just, as I was saying, virtual reality or AR. It's mixed reality. And that blending of kind of the real and the virtual. And they say down the line, like, this blend may be so good and so pervasive that 
that the virtual and real become indistinguishable, mm. which is kind of a creepy thought. But that's what they're saying. That's that's just a five year plan. You know, that's it's not it's not too far away. It's around the corner. And the marketing for that is gigantic, like absolutely gigantic, because whoever controls it will have control over your entire reality what you what you engage with yeah i i i i know i and i get you know just before we move on from the the, the, that particular part of the vr thing i think that that mixed reality thing again to tie in what i was saying with the motion sickness is that because you're mixing the two worlds you are actually moving you can play games you map out the room i saw a good little uh, trailer for a you know, you're shooting aliens that pop up in your sitting room or whatever. You go in, you walk through the room, you walk around the coffee table, everything, it picks up the whole room. And then... Seamless. Yeah, and then it's making things appear as if they're like augmented reality. They're picking up and stuff. So I'm actually physically moving while I'm playing this game. So it cuts out a lot of that stuff, you know. So if you could switch that to me having a fucking lightsaber in my sitting room while there's fucking lads breaking in the window and I got to kick some bad guy's ass with a fucking sword. I mean, that's <laughs> that's fucking awesome, you know, but... Like you said, you use the word scary or terrifying. I mean, that it is like we, we've both been, and I know I'm just starting to get into messing around with Photoshop and all the rest and that stuff. And, and getting to grips with playing with AI, you know, that's fucking, that's scary. What, what it can do, you know, what you can just give it a prompt and it comes away with stuff. And you start me- mixing that in with virtual reality, you know, yeah, it is going to get to a point where it's people are going to get mixed you know what's real what's not you know and it's just absolutely like it is sci-fi movie stuff in and, and it's not far away it's not one of these things where yeah that's a you know that's what scientists predict what the world is going to be like in fucking you know 2050 or 2060 this is our ai is here now the it's not it's only a few years before we start seeing even more and more advanced virtual reality things where and you're getting smaller and smaller you know you're just going in strapping on a pair of fucking small goggles and it's got absolutely. the technology and, and that that shit terrifies the shit out of me. Because it's, as you said, like it's it, like VR at the moment is, even though it's it's been great on consoles and sold pretty well, the Quest has been a massive success. I think VR is still looked at as a niche market. It's like the gamers who have disposable income to buy a 500 euro accessory or toy or whatever. But the fact that with, with Apple jumping in here can't be underestimated. The, the partnership they have with Disney as well, it's like a massive thing. Like Disney putting their neck on the line here put a lot of money behind this with apple and you know apple love them or hate them they generally they're kind of a proactive pusher of new tech you know they're i guess they're less innovators these days and more refiners so like you know if if they release a you know a desktop when they release it in 2013 there was no cd drive and everyone just lost their shit just like what where am i gonna put my cds and dvds and you know 18 months later what the fuck is a dvd you know it's just yeah same headphone headphone jacks gone you know yeah that kind of stuff where when this with this and they have a five like a five-year plan it does like they they like obviously this is going to be the first iteration generation one or whatever but seeing down as you're saying the the how fast tech is is evolving five years down the line i mean this is going to be smaller lighter and um, instead of you know using it for two hours a day for, you know, a meeting or something like that. You might be, you know, using it while you're cooking or something like that. And it's, as mad as that seems, that's the thing where you're kind of going, okay, if you wear it where I'm cooking, it can map out and see what you're doing and tell you how much of this, you know, you look over at the lettuce and goes, you know, you, this, I know it can just, yeah, it's that mixed reality stuff where it's part of your life. You're not going into another world. You're bringing the other world into your world. And it's just a merging, merging of the two, which is fucking scary. And I think people don't realize, as you mentioned on the word successful for the headset, I don't think people realize how successful VR 
is, you know, relative to its cost and all the rest of it and its, its player base. Because if you talk to somebody about it, they, they almost treat it as if this is 3D TV. You know, whenever Panasonic were released for you and people were getting that. Yeah, that was shit. That was a fad. This is not that, you know, this because this doesn't just have applications in for, you know, your your gamers or people who are just like don't want to have to experience reality. You know, in the medical field, it's not only, as I mentioned, people who are, say, differently abled. Yeah, but yeah, for people who are unable to leave their house and stuff. Yeah, it is a massive benefit for that. But on the other side of the medical field, it's also for people who can, you know, for people who are learning microsurgery and all these different type of things. They're learning in VR. They're learning. They can see their hands. They can see the thing, everything on front of them. They can people who can do surgeries from one side of the world on the other side using robotics because they're using seeing everything through a virtual headset that moves as they move. You know, it's got applications for for the military, for all different type, all different ends of research can use it for education. You know, being able to put in, have headsets in the classroom to bring it down and go, right, today we're going to go and visit fucking the Serengeti. Everybody put your headsets on. The teacher guides you as you walk around and the students are sitting in the class looking around at what they can see. You know, this this is stuff that's expensive now, but it's starting to come in and will, I'm 100% sure will be more commonplace. Back when I was a fucking kid in the 80s, we had one computer in the school that was on a goddamn trolley. And if you were lucky, your class got to fucking get it wheeled in. This monstrosity of a trolley was wheeled in so I could play the fucking Oregon Trail or where the fuck was on it, like just this ancient piece of shit. Like, whereas, you know, things in a few years for for, for for school kids will look a lot different, I think. Absolutely. Like the price point, even like, you know, three and a half grand for, let's say, this Apple Vision Pro thing. I mean, three and a half grand is like, okay, that, that's three and a half grand. But for a first generation uh, this is your new reality fucking headset thing. That's that's not as much. Uh, like if it was fifteen grand, you'd be going, okay, yeah, that this is madness. You're never going to see this mainstream and like an, on a consumer base. But a few years down the line, that might be fifteen hundred quid, which is the price of how, how much is a PC these days? A decent PC to to run VR. Yeah, and people will buy them, and and, and the people who some of the people who will buy this and pay the few grand for this this headset, the Apple one you're talking about may never and may never have touched a video game. They're not buying it for that at all. So this is a personal use machine that people may not even use for gaming purposes. It's, it is changing reality, as you say, rather than the actual gaming, whereas something along the lines of a Meta Quest, Meta Quest 3, is aimed more towards, yeah, it's being, being in the virtual world. Yes, mixing the two, but it is aimed towards you know playing games, going to, going to meetings with people from the other side of the world, and you're all in the one meeting room on virtual reality. I think it. I think it's actually hard to get across, even in this video, exactly what the implications are of of what Apple are doing, you know, and what what the future holds for this. Where we know. could be in five yeah, years. Yeah, I think. I think. Know, I think. Absolutely. I think people in general will understand what you mean when you mention a you know virtual reality game. But this mixed reality stuff is 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 hard to fathom. The sky is the limit with what what where this could go, and it's not as if as human beings we <laughs> ever pull back. You know, it's. Okay, let's see what else I can do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so just before we finish up on the VR thing, I should probably just give my thoughts on the Quest 3, which launched this week. Um, anyone who has a Quest 1 or 2, it's, um, it's I guess, it's a, it's a great update. It's a, it's a fantastic device. You know, it's it's slimmer design. It's, it's not lighter, but it doesn't feel as front heavy. Maybe something to do with the design. It's got a sharper display and a, you know, more powerful processor. Ticking all the boxes. Pricey. It starts at 580 euros, which I thought was like, oh, okay, and goes up to you know 700 plus for the 512 gigabyte version. Um, if I had a Quest 2, 
I it's a pricey update for what you get because gaming wise, unfortunately, there's no kind of killer new app that goes with it or killer new game. A few games have upgraded their graphics and stuff, but it's the same. It's the same game library. Like I logged into to my library and you know just went to see what was out, and it's just a few updates of all games that I've already played. You know, this you know Pistol Whip. Beat Saber, you know, a few other ones like Red Matter has, which is a, a really, really excellent game, but that's been out for years, but that got a new... Yeah, I think that that, that, got, that, got, that got an impressive graphical update by what I've seen. Like, it's, it, 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 lo- it looks fantastic, but yeah, I think what you're saying is, is probably true from what I've seen so far. I know you've obviously, you know, had more experience with it, but for, for what I've seen, it does seem like there's not enough there to warrant... An upgrade if you already have a quest two absolutely or even if you're dipping your, your foot in i mean the the what the quest two is what's that around 300 euros or something like that maybe even less i'm not sure but um yeah it's it's just a lack of the lack of uh a new game or new killer app that's but but then again like as you touched on before that there's no on you cannot underestimate the uh the power of wireless gaming like you really can it's like as as amazing as the psvr2 is which i've been playing i was playing a lot this year it's kind of gathering dust now at the moment even though it's just you know that single cable as opposed to the first psvr that had took you about fucking 20 minutes to set up but you know 20 different cables needed a degree in astrophysics or something the even the psvr2 with its with its cable there still are moments when you're moving around walking you know you're not running obviously but you you step back and and you just step on the cable and it just tugs the headset and it's like ah fuck's sake you know but and that kind of combats the 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 fidelity of the psvr2 in terms of the power that you're getting from the ps5 and what the games look like absolutely spectacular but still some of the best vr gaming i've had is from games that are less graphically intensive like Pistol Whip, Beat Saber, and so many other um, fan favorites that just you could play them on the Quest One and still have as much fun as the Quest Three. In my mind, like it's the pass through in the Quest Three is what you'd love is is the be- like it's the best because it's color pass through this time, which means you can you can lift up your phone, you know, you can it's clear enough that you can kind of read a text message or something like that. So it's um, yeah, it's good, but it's uh, it's it's probably the best on the market. It's just quite pricey for an update yeah i think they've kind of gone as well i think with the peripherals like you can the the, the thing that connects to your face because they can get quite warm you know so the visor like actually touches you know touches your face as well it's it's not you can't replace the actual spongy part of it which is you know or clean it properly you kind of have to just replace it and so of course you can replace it with like something that's more rubbery and easier to clean but of course they charge you like 50 quid to do that it's, it's like it's always with any of these things they they make a load of money on peripherals. There's a lot of that as well, which to consider if you are purchasing one. So, uh, so yeah, just to finish off on the VR segment, then um, VR is brilliant, but it's probably going to fucking kill us. <laughs> but that's a nice dystopian angle to finish up our VR segment. So, uh, yeah, over to you, Phil. Yeah, thanks for that, man. Now, it's good to hear your thoughts on it because I think you were out of our friend group and definitely people I know you were kind of the one pushing it you know the the, be- the I suppose the benefits of it and the the fun involved in it more than others and have kept you keep up to date and everything to do with it so it's it's good to hear from your angle and um, I guess you know the, the, we, as we move on now into the retro corner because we were doing this kind of virtual thing is the reason I decided to pick a movie that Jesus, as I said, it's 41 years old. It's a long, it's an old movie. So, you know, this is going to be a revisit rather than uh, a review. But that being said, if you would like to not have it spoiled, cut out now. And thanks very much for listening to this week's episode. Um, 
But I would imagine everybody's either seen it or, you know, isn't going to care about a fucking movie of this age being spoiled on it. But yeah, so we I picked Tron because although it's not people putting on virtual helmets and jumping into virtual reality, it is one of the earliest, I think, in, in movies, ones I remember being, you know, depictions of a virtual world, of a human being being sucked into the virtual world. When it came out, it was like 82. We're talking about massive sci-fi hype at the time because star wars has been around for a few years at this stage and so people are trying to get into any sort of fucking any sort of sci-fi stuff you can put out there sci-fi was just massive then and this from like when i remember watching that as a kid i probably didn't watch it until i was maybe six or seven or whatever age even then at that age it was fucking mind-blown because of how mental it looked because yeah like tons of movies had used visual effects like i just mentioned star wars had huge visual effects loads of movies had but this was one of the first ones to use CGI, you know, using CGI and to use it to an ex- the extent that they did was remarkable. You know, for actors now will act in front of green screen, YouTubers sit in fucking front of green screens. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's the most normal thing in the world now to do it. But back then it was doing fucking mental, you know, and I think yeah, it just really intrigued me that whole, that, that whole idea of this kind of being where these movies kind of started getting into it for those who haven't seen it like it's basically it's jeff bridges is the main actor um and he plays a dude named flynn who owns a a arcade and he's also a hacker he used to work for this fucking work for this company and the idea is he ends up getting accidentally sucked into this virtual world and he needs the help of computer programs to get out of it and straight away you know you get this view of how computer programs are represented in this world and they're represented as human beings. They're represented as, you know, visually looking exactly like the people who created them, the users, you know, users being almost gods in this and you're created in their image. And, you know, it, it reminds me obviously of the matrix and your matrix, you almost have your avatar, you look like you do in it, but also the way the computer programs in that act, the Merovingian and all this kind of stuff, the key maker, they're just computer programs, but in this world, they're represented by human beings. And it's the same in the world of, um, of Tron when you're sucked into this system it's like it's not the greatest movie in the world you know and I, and I would never claim for it to be um, it's not a review it's more just how impressive it was to create this world like what I found was was the hacking you know the hacking he is kind of represented by him asking the computer to do things he's talking to this clue is the name of the first program that he uses in it and of course it's a little version of him in it and he's in a tank and it's like I can only imagine being in the cinema back in 83 and seeing this fully CGI tank driving around, like, it must have looked so fucking amazing. Like, how the fuck did they do that? You know, I could fucking do that on my phone now, you know, but it's just, it, it, it looked, you know, it must have been just fucking incredible to see. But I'm, I'm always mad about, always interested in how, and this isn't just in in this movie, but how hacking is portrayed in movies always yeah. just, I just always amuses me. It's fucking, you know, it's all the people that they do through, is it going through phone lines? Is it da-da-da? It's like, they're like, it's like it's this mystical thing and how they present it and not yeah, just clouds of numbers and whoa. yeah yeah it's always so fucking weird like <laughs> a the, big tunnel oh, or something yeah <laughs> like the movie the hacker like i think in the movie hackers you know they're all sitting yeah. around together banging on laptop skins like none of you dickheads <laughs> are even connected to like the phone line like what are you hacking into like you're just banging keys on your keyboard like, oh i made a stencil with a spray can and look at my laptop looks cool now doesn't you're still not connected to the internet what the fuck are you doing like it's just <laughs> it's, it's it's always so mental how they do it you know um and this was another one yeah like it's just i always find it so bizarre how they how they show hacking like no one really know. like it's like none of them really know what hacking is or what it is why it is 
but they just know they want it in the movie because hacking sounds cool and we're going to make a movie about it. And whoever's making the movie doesn't really know what's involved in it, you know? But yeah, it just, I loved it again in this movie. They're kind of own <laughs> what it looks like. Um, and David, like David Warner kind of plays the bad guy um, or one of the bad guys. His name escapes me in it. And you have this big master control system. It was like this sentient AI who's controlling it. And it kind of takes over programs and makes them, you know, fight each other in almost like games, like a sport and repurposes them and all that kind of stuff. But it's just <laughs> the way they do that. They basically give them all, fucking, let's just say it, they're fucking Frisbees. They give them these, I like, think they're calling like your data disc thing that records everything and they have fun. They've literally just got a bit of electrical tape and put it on a Frisbee and they all have them and they're using them to, knock around yeah they're just knocking around these like fucking cgi energy balls and da, 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 da. And it's like it's trippy looking even to look at now you know 40 odd years later it's trippy as fuck to look at now you know the way they've they shot it in, like you said certain colors are, it's shot in black but then certain colors are illuminated and it's the whole world inside tron is fucking inside the the sorry the computer system is fucking mental to look at but yeah it, it's it it as the movie goes on, you kind of find out, yeah, it, it's basically the reason he gets sucked in is because he worked for the company. His ideas were stolen and used to make this video game. And this video game is massive. It's one of the biggest things in his arcade. All the kids love it. Millions spent around the world, but it was stolen from his idea. The secrets are kept from disc is stolen are kept obviously on this database in the company. He breaks in with a couple of mates to get in. And the idea is that he's going to find, find it and prove that, you know, they stole his ideas. And <laughs> Like, it's just ridiculous. They're, you find out near the start, they're working on this laser, and this laser is able to, <laughs> it's another part of the company. This laser is able to repurpose energy, almost like a teleport machine. It can take them, you know, digitizes basically, and they're using it to do it like an orange. They show them to do an orange, they do it, and then they bring it back. It just so happens that the, the database computer that he needs to go and type in to try and hack in while he's doing it, the master control sentient AI starts fucking yapping to him, saying, you know, I knew you'd be back. You're never going to get in here basically just jerking him around, you know? And while he's talking, the one place you could possibly have this fucking laser set up is about 10 feet behind him. And like, why? <laughs> why did you have the laser pointing there? That could accidentally go off at any time. Why would you have a pointing at one computer desk? Just for health and safety reasons, this just seems wildly, wildly irresponsible. And <laughs> and so he gets, he gets, he gets fucking vaporized, whatever, computerized, whatever word you want to use, and pulled in. And at the start, he's like, this is obviously a dream, but very quickly seems completely, oh, oh, this is obviously a computer program. That seems fine with it. You know, I I think I'd have a full-on mental breakdown if it was me, but he seemed fine with it. And he goes on, he gets help from, the, the Tron is basically, is the, is the name of a computer program that a guy he knows, his ex-girlfriend's new fella, has made as like a security system. And the master control system sees this Tron as a threat because it wants independence it wants to get into other systems it's hacked down other com other companies but now it wants to get into other countries and their you know and their it systems and all that shit and this is good thing could stand in his way so tron is this badass computer program in it um and he teams up with him and another couple of fuckers to get out of there but some of the games are fun you know the games they make them compete in like the light cycle really stands out if anybody who even yeah, hasn't seen the movie might have seen yeah you might have seen the light cycles it's essentially snake you know they're going around the new yeah. right side which leave these <laughs> Two big trails snake. behind them it is that's all it is like they're leave there's they're going along they leave these big trails behind them and if you were to the idea is if you can get ahead of somebody and cross in front of them they're going to hit into the trail of your bike and that's going to kill them and so that's one of them one of them is like they have 
those hooks that indoor court people play you know they have that um hook that holds a ball in and you mill it at the wall and lacrosse or whatever it's called no not lacrosse it's got a weird fucking name it's something ball i think anyway they have them and so you're you're throwing them at the ceiling to bounce down and it hits a ring you're standing on and each ring it hits disappears so you're left with less and less ground to stand on so that that's kind of cool and that's the first game that jeff bridges has to play like but as it goes on it gets fucking more and more ridiculous. Like it gets towards <laughs> towards the end. Towards the end is very much a, oh my God, we let's just see what the fuck we can do with this technology because it's just, it's mental. They're just throwing CGI fucking stuff in everywhere. And I can imagine people back then must be like, what the fuck is going on? But it's There's just- one guy he, dressed as a dick. He looks like a dick, his costume. Oh no, that, that's, that's, no, that's uh, David Warner's just fucking outfit. Yeah, he has some, they give him like, a, everybody else has these kind of little hats on. They almost look like swim caps. Um, yeah. But he has a weird thing. Yeah, it's almost like he's got a, like a foreskin hat on that they cut a face out of. It's just weird. I don't know why they gave him that, why they gave him that outfit. Um, maybe it's just to make him look more evil or badass or something. But yeah, he's kind of one of the guys towards the end, the mass control system jumps into him and gives him his power. So he becomes like fucking 20 feet tall and they're trying to get past him to access the master system. And I remember that I think the master system is just weird looking spinning tube, you know, with a face on it. And I'm pretty sure they, that's the use. They took the piss out of it on South Park, South Park. They had Moses, you know, Moses is depicted <laughs> as this big giant thing. I think that's exactly where they took the reference to. And, I, and over the last 40 years, Tron has been referenced in so many different movies, so many skits, you know, and it's, if it's, it's affected stuff whether you didn't like the movie or did like the movie. It's had an effect on movies that involve virtual reality for good or bad. It's had an effect on all these movies and it can be seen. I think the matrix does rely heavily on Tron. You know, it does definitely call yeah. from it. Um, whether the, you know, Wachowski's want to admit that or not, it definitely does. I think, um, there's so, there's a lot of parallels between those two movies, but as I said, it's not a great movie. It's more just good because of the effect that it had say on the genre, on the industry rather than itself being an actually very good movie. But yeah, yeah, I, like I, I I, don't know. It's not really one where I'm going to go like we do with the movie reviews and I say, would I recommend it? Would I not recommend it? Because it's, it's, you know, I wouldn't recommend it from a, oh, this is a great movie kind of thing. But I would recommend watching it just as a piece of history, just as something if you haven't seen it before to kind of go, Jesus, look, how imagine, just imagine what it would have looked like to watch it back then. Because nothing else looked like it. Nothing else looked like that. And not for a few years after did anything look like it. And I think from that standpoint, I would recommend having a look of it if you haven't seen it. Don't really, don't get too fucking you know, worked up about the plot, especially towards the end. And, you know, the CGI when it goes fucking mental and you're just like, what the fuck <laughs> is going on? Like, they just decided to have fun with it. Yeah, but- it's like a history lesson on, on what the kind of, what the early 80s you know you had star wars and what 70 was it 77 77 was the first seven one. yeah and it was you know they were pioneering you know miniatures and you know matte paintings and set extensions and all this stuff and what i got from it re-watching it again was just how fucking bananas the start is like it's just especially after like like the the sequel is more um uh, i've better memory of this of the sequel but where the sequel would start the world building naturally it's kind of perfect that way where it's introduces the characters and the world and all this introduces his son and then you go to the arcade and he finds you know the the game and then gets sucked in with this one it starts with 
people in an arcade and people someone puts a quarter in the in the arcade machine then it shows the screen which is as you said the kind of the snake thing and then the camera just pans in and then suddenly we're in the game with the light cycles battling each other and there's a person on the light cycle and you know i know i i remember watching at the time go fucking cool or whatever but if you're in a cinema in 1982 or three or whatever and like no people knew fuck all about computers back then <laughs> like so you'd know what it's like no one had a computer like computers were just things that send you to the moon you know and then you've got this and within about 60 seconds you're watching it going what what the fuck is going on who's he what like just fucking bewildering stuff i mean like it's a cult classic and uh but it definitely it's a movie that unfortunately lives fonder in the memory. Yeah, yeah, I think so. There's there's some movies I think that you go back to to watch and they they really just don't live up to what you have in your memory. There's some that do. I, I've you know, I've watched um I watched Flight of the Navigator recently enough and it's still fucking awesome. It was awesome oh, yeah, when I was yeah, a kid. Absolutely. It's fucking awesome now. Apparently Bryce Dallas Howard might be doing a remake um oh, of that please, one. Please, please. But I know, leave it alone. But the, but yeah, I think this is one of the ones where you go back. If you're, if you have fond memories of it being a great movie, it's probably not. You're probably going to ruin those, shatter those memories for you. But if you just want to go back and just kind of put yourself into what it must have been like, you know, in that time for as a piece of history, as a piece of them using this technology. Um, yeah. In so such it's an right. It's right in way. the middle. It's right in the middle of that technology kind of leap where it was kind of seemingly making use of like every animation technique that had come before and every computer trick that was going to come after it. It's kind of right bang in the middle of that kind of crazy yeah, time. Yeah, where... yeah definitely. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. You were getting your visual effects. I mean, like, you know, the, the, the leaps that industrial, you know, light and magic had done with, you know, with the star Wars and stuff, you know, it did, they had obviously that stuff was amazing and there was a great mixture of visual effects and of, um, of practical effects and there's some of that in here but yeah i think it, it started to make the leap then after like this. that light like the colors on there uh like the cg environments are, are incredible and uh, it was, there's one sequence in it that it's entirely cg for about 15 fucking minutes it's just like holy shit how long did that take to to render out uh, it's quite astonishing but all the glowing stuff of reading that they they had to treat the um treat the, the film negative a few times to do a certain different passes on it but then People would go in and hand color and hand do all the colors on the on the suits, which is like 70, 75,000 frames of animation, which is like fucking like that's that's why looking back at it, it's really uh, it's more interesting that way. You know, I was looking at something I was watching it while also reading up on it at the same time, just going, this is fucking bananas that they actually like the director. I don't think he made anything after it because he just he had, he had no idea what if it was going to work or not, because back then with those visual effects and painting on that stuff, you wouldn't know if it looks good or not until the film is printed and you project it in a theater or, you know, to have a look at it. And there's no going back then. There's no reshoots, just like oh, either it works or it's a fucking shit show. Yeah. And, 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 and for the amount of work that was put in, because even though it, like it, it did okay by consent, like how much it made compared to how much it cost, it was still considered a flop because, because of what they were putting into it, because it's supposed to look like nothing anybody had seen before, they were expecting to make a hell of a lot more. Like it costs 17 million and made 50 million. So, I mean, I'm not sure what that is adjusted to today, but you know, looking at it, you're going, okay, well, that's fucking, that, that's actually not too bad of an amount. That's, it's, it's three, three times roughly, 
you know, so it's, it's actually not too bad. But that that's not enough for what they were going for here. And as you said, the, the laborious effort that was put in to make it look the way it looks, they really thought it was going to pull in a hell of a lot more than it did. You know, because it tackles like it tackles some some interesting themes. I remember watching it and just the whole kind of time relativity stuff. You know, two days in the game is twenty minutes in real life. That kind of stuff would just kind of blow your mind if you're you're if you at that time you haven't watched Christopher Nolan movies. You know, you know what? <laughs> yeah, it's trippy but like as a piece of entertainment obviously it's no classic but it it definitely anticipated issues that you know uh or or, uh, anticipated issues like you know digital identity and ai and you know a digital presence a presence and like domination of technology companies and this kind of stuff whereas it was a i wouldn't say it was far beyond its time but it was definitely tackling interesting themes but um but yeah it just goes fucking bananas you know what i mean yeah, yeah, it does, and and I think, uh, I I think yeah, I mean it, it's it's hard. I think it's hard to keep. They were always going to find it hard to keep a story like that grounded in anything, though. I mean, it, you're, yeah. it was because there were yeah. Now you can make stuff that kind of blends in drama and sci-fi now, and you can do it very well. You know, you can do it very fluidly, even if it was like a virtual world, you can do that. But I think then they were wading into a lot of new territory with this. I think I think they were always doomed for it to go fucking mental. You know, I don't know if they were ever going to be able to be subtle with this movie yeah. the way we could be with sci-fi and drama now you know what i mean absolutely so that, that, that's that's pretty much our thoughts i think on it you know yeah go and give it a go for for the cracker if not you know check out the sequel and there's an animated sequel and there's even there's talk of future movies and series as well but it's worth it's worth having a look into if you're not even into watching the movie again go and just read some of the lore about it read some of the stories about it and it, it is an interesting an interesting read um, before we finish up, we do just have one more thing to touch on. So, so far, our episodes have been coming out on a Friday. And we've just decided just from, a, you know, an editing standpoint and all that kind of stuff, it just, it seems better to kind of get this released on a, on a weekday instead. So we've decided we're going to switch them for, from Fridays to Monday. So although this one is out now, I you know, uh, this week on, what, what day is this Friday? The 20th. The next episode won't be out again until the 30th. Um, but it's going to be awesome. We're having a, uh, a Halloween episode and we've got some cool stuff planned for it. So it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, you'll have to bear with us those extra three days um, for episode <laughs> number four. Um, but unless do you have anything else, Daz, do you want to? No, it's been a good week. Good chat. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was really interesting. I'm, 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 I'm interested to hear other people's takes. It's been great to get contact and feedback from people so far. So, you know, feel free to get in touch about this episode. Let us know what we inevitably definitely got wrong um, as well as just the stuff that you liked, you know, and, and as always, if there's anything you'd like to see us touch on or review or something we mightn't have thought of, let us know in the email middleagegeeks at yahoo.com or on, you know, on one of our social media pages. So with that said, thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll see you next time.